Over the last several weeks, as a congregation, we have been slowly making our way through the 40th chapter of the prophet Isaiah, hearing these incredible words of comfort given to people during a very desperate time in their history. We, this morning, are going to continue to look at that, focusing on just a few more verses, verses 26 through 28, that can be found on the screen behind me, or once again on page number 713 of your pew Bibles. Uh, but in many ways, while the themes will repeat itself, this brings to a head one of the, the main concerns of this whole text. And so hear these words from Isaiah chapter 40, verses 26 through 28. Lift up your eyes on high and see. Who created these? He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, and because of his, he is strong in power, not one is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Congregation, I wonder, how much have you concerned yourself with the life of a snail? I grew up in an area that didn't have snails at all, and so since moving here and living here, I continue to be fascinated by these little animals that show up after it rains. And we still will point them out to visitors when they come in the winter, and they just delight at looking at these little things. But having grown up for most of you in this area, how much do you think about snails? Have you ever wondered, where do they live before it rains? Where are they right now? And as they live, think about their life. How long is the life of a snail? And in that life, how long will they travel? How far away from where they are born will they ever get from that point? Do they like to grow their shells? And do they compare shells one to another? Are they envious of the size, shape, and color of each other's snail shells? And they feel guilty or ashamed of their own when they compare them. How much do you devote your attention and time to thinking about a snail? And my guess is not much at all. Maybe you ask those questions like, where do these things come from when they pop up in your garden and you try to destroy them and kill them and get rid of them? But other than that, you don't give much attention to their life. And of course, why would you? You have so many other things going on in your life to worry about, to be concerned about. Why would you pay any attention to that little thing that's on the sidewalk in front of you? I know it's probably a little bit dangerous of me as a preacher to do, but let's take a moment to think about those other things that often fill our minds and our attention instead of snails. 
throughout history, the major concern of any human being was just the need to survive. And so every day, the biggest worry always has been, what am I going to eat? When am I going to be able to eat it? Where is the water that I need to survive and to drink? And will I have a safe place to rest this evening? Now, we are so very blessed to live in a time and a place where those concerns are, are met pretty easily and that nevertheless, those are ongoing concerns that since that's a need of survival, we always have to at least pay some attention to, some more than others. But then we think about what mostly usually concerns us and that's our schedules, the things that we have to do, the obligations and the promises that we've made to other people. And so students are probably thinking about, all right, what assignments have I got this coming week? What are the things that are due tomorrow that I have to make sure are done so that I can keep my grades up and keep my teacher and my parents happy? Adults are probably more worried about the work responsibilities they have and all of the to-dos that are going to walk and meet them when they start working on Monday. All of the promises that they made, the jobs that they said that they were going to work on, and the hope is that we can get as much of those to-dos into the done pile before the end of the week. And those things consume a lot of our attention. And then, of course, there's the things we like to be worried about and to fill our minds with. How's our sports teams going to do today? Whether you're following the baseball playoffs or you want to watch this football after the noon, how are the, the teams going to compare to one another? And how are your fantasy teams going to do against others? When are you going to chance to play your, your favorite video game that you've been playing as of late? And are you going to be able to progress past that point that's been holding you back? When is your next TV episode going to air and come out that you can watch that, enjoy that with your friends? When are you going to be able to spend time with your friends with playdates and coffee visits? Those things fill our mind and we actually enjoy attending to those. And then there's the things we should be thinking about. When was the last time you changed the oil in your car or the air filter on your HVAC unit? What are you doing for devotions right now? And has that really been feeding your faith? Or are you letting things go? And should you start something new and reinvigorate that? Those people in Maui, how are they doing in recovery from that fire? And with wars now raging in both Ukraine and Israel, what, if anything, should or, or can we do to address the needs of those people that are afflict, affect, affected by all of that? And then there's the things that we really care about, that weigh down our hearts when they start to arise as issues. When you struggle with finances and the biggest burden is, will we be able to pay those bills that are looming over our head? And if not, then where do we turn? And how much patience are we going to be granted by our landlord or by the electric company? Our health concerns. At what point do we actually go in and talk to the doctor about that thing that we've been wondering about? And what are they going to tell us? Is it going to be good news or bad news? And because it might be bad news, I'm afraid to even ask. And so when is that point when we finally go in and, and get answers to those questions that we've been asking? Of course, what about our relationships? A broken relationship and the 
the damage that's being happening right now between parent and child, between husband and wife. And how do we fix that that has been broken? And we carry those anxieties and those burdens with us, and they consume so much of our attention and our time that in the end, we've got absolutely no room to care at all about snails or even remember that that's how we started this conversation from the very beginning. But all of that is not to get you to think about snails. It's to get you to think about this, about God. What does God concern himself with? What are the things that he thinks about? What are the things that he has to attend to? And where do you think you and all of those concerns of your life fit into all of that? That's another thought that probably doesn't creep into our minds all that often. It sounds like an odd one to contemplate. And yet, I'm sure for all of us, we have had those moments where that thought is one of those dominating, consuming thoughts. When you and your family move from struggle to struggle, from burden to burden, and you ask those really important questions, where are you, God, in all of this? Do you see do you care? Do you know? As we were reminded in the start of this journey through Isaiah chapter 40, for the exiled people of Israel that Isaiah was writing to, those were the really big questions that they were concerned with. In fact, as I alluded, it may be the question that they were asking during this time of exile. A question that frames this whole chapter. At this time, they were feeling like they were pretty low on God's priority list if they were on it at all. Sure, they'd been called by God's chosen, as God's chosen people. They had seen God establish and bless them as a nation in the past. They could recite the stories of God's provident care through the work and life of Joseph or through the exodus, through the conquering of the promised land under Joshua or the reign of David. And they could celebrate God's evident blessing on those people's lives, even through their struggles. But, but what about now? What about now after they had been so long ignoring God and giving too much of their heart and their attention to the idols that they had delighted in worshiping? What about now that their enemies had come and, and conquered their land, destroying their capital and the temple, all of their worship and their nation had been in rubble and there wasn't much hope for a return? What about now that they were no longer in that promised land and couldn't really find themselves as a nation? Did God see? Did God even know what was going on or did he even care? Now, think about those questions in light of the, the picture that the prophet Isaiah has been painting for us in the sections of this chapter that we've looked at over the last couple of weeks, and it continues in the verses that we've been focusing on this morning. As of late, we've been trying to do that work of 
thinking about the indescribable greatness of our God, his power, his might. We've also, as we did last week, talk about how he is incomparable to any other thing that exists. No idols especially can compare to the greatness of our God. And those thoughts in many ways continue as we start in verse 26 this morning. Here our attention is brought to the heavenly skies. Isaiah says, lift up your eyes on high and see. And he causes us to think about uh, the, the greatness of the night sky and the heavens that exist. And he does this for two reasons. First, continuing our theme from last week, the stars were one of those idols that the nations had, had turned their attention to. They had turned the, the stars and the astrological figures into things that were worthy of worship and praise. And yet that was, as it says in our text, something that God himself had created. But furthermore, in a connected way, Isaiah wants us to just think about those stars in the heavens. And how great and incomprehensible they are in their vastness. Depending on what source you read, uh, scientists estimate that the naked human eye, without any help of a telescope or binoculars, is able to see somewhere between 5,000 and 9,000 lights in the night sky. And that's probably what Isaiah was referring to, calling our attention to. And yet, we, with the aid of technology and telescopes and with a greater understanding of all of that understand that those five to eight thousand or nine thousand that are actually visible to our eye is not even the tip of the iceberg in fact in many ways it's more comparable to a snowflake on that iceberg of all of the billions upon billions of stars that actually exist to the point that some of those lights that we see in the night sky aren't just individual stars, but they are whole galaxies of stars gathered together and all we can see is one little dot in the night sky. Isaiah wants us to think about that. And then know that God created that and is in charge of all of that as well. He made all of those stars and each one of those galaxies and of those stars and those galaxies, the billions of billions upon the, of, of those that exist, we are just the tiniest little speck in one little corner of a particular galaxy and a solar system. And yet, God always makes sure that they're each where they always need to be. He knows them all by name, and he has always and throughout time ensured that one of them has never once gone missing. When you think about how big all of that is, when you think about how big the force that lies behind all of that must be to control and maintain all of that existence, the only appropriate thing that we can ask about ourselves is what our call to worship from Psalm 8 asks. What is man that you are mindful of him? The son of man that you would care for him? As I alluded to, we live 
on a small solar system in a sea of others. Throw into that fact that even on this earth, I, you, we are only one of, as of last night, 8,065,273,000 people that live on this earth right now. And what is more, in our short span of time, even were we to live 95, 100 years, it's just a whisper in history. And in all of that, how important am I? How significant are the concerns of my little life? And many will say, well, not at all. In light of that, I am nothing, and my life is virtually meaningless. Over the last few weeks, we have been focusing on the greatness, the transcendence of God. And one commentator on this passage named Derek Kidner suggested that one of the inferences someone could get from thinking about this idea is that God is so big... And he is too big to care about me or any individual beside any other individual. And we might wonder, well, isn't that where Isaiah is going with all of this? Isn't he just trying to tell Israel, listen, stop whining. God's got bigger things to worry about than you. So when he asks, or when they ask in verse 27, Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God? In essence, he's saying, why are you even wondering if God is thinking about you? Why are you worried that he has forgotten you? In many ways, we are encouraged to respond, well, what else are we supposed to think? Surely, the God in control of all aspects of this vast cosmos is far too busy to worry about me, especially rebellious, sinful me, and all of the little things that concern my life. But that's not the point. And that's where we get to both the irony and the beauty of this text. Echoing again a point we've highlighted a few weeks ago, one commentator put it so aptly when looking at this text, he says, and I quote, every time the Bible wows us with the grandeur of God and the magnitude of God's never-ending creation, we are immediately told that this same God uses that very same almighty power in the service of attending to us, to our lives, to all that we do. No matter how vast the universe is, no matter how awesome and almighty our great God is, none of it gets in the way of God's tender regard for every last one of us. End quote. Which is why that other commentator I quoted, Derek Kidner, also says, yes, one inference is that God is too great to care, but that's the wrong inference to make. The right inference is, is to recognize that God is so great that he is too great to fail you. 
The point of Isaiah telling Israel and us all about the great things that God is and that he can do is not to remind us of how small and insignificant we are, but how big our God is. And to say that if God has never once misplaced or forgotten a star in the vastness of the sky, why do you think he would ever forget about you? His special creation, his precious child, his joy, and his love. Now, why would we think that of ourselves? Well, think about the obvious texts that talk about God's love for you. John 3.16, that reminds us that God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. That God sent Jesus to this earth to offer himself as a sacrifice, dying a terrible and awful death so that you might be forgiven and that you might forever be able to live in the very presence of this God that loves you. As great and awesome as every one of those billions of stars is, God never died for a single one of them. But he did die for you. Or that other verse alluded to in the Heidelberg Catechism that we read this morning, where that very same Jesus said in Matthew 10, 29 through 31, that we ought not worry ourselves about those that oppose us or the trials that come in our life because God knows you and loves you so much that he is aware of every single hair that is on your head. It is precisely because each and every star in the sky is always accounted for that we know we are too. And despite the testimony of the size of this creation, the testimony of scripture is that we are cared about and that we are loved by that great, wonderful, everlasting, and powerful God Yes, Israel was in a difficult and hard place. Yes, they were asking big questions about if they had blown it forever and if God had forgotten them and neglected them. But Isaiah's clear word is that God has not and could not forget about them. He does not grow faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. So what do we do with a text like this and how do we respond? First of all, let me be very clear on one way that I don't want you to respond or to think about this text. And that is this way. See, I am very special. Look at how wonderful I am that God would think about me, care about me, love me. I must be so important. That's not what this text is about. It's not about me. It's not about you. It is about the goodness and greatness of our God and how he does attend to us despite our being completely undeserving of that attention. That is his grace to you. So what do we do? Well, first of all, you cannot help but recognize that this is another invitation to just stand in awe, worship, and praise of our great God. 
The mere idea that God created everything that exists, that he holds it together, and that of his creation, he has especially given his love and attention to us is something that is one of those incomprehensible thoughts. What else can we do but praise our God? What else can we do but stand before his majesty and his might and awe and power and just give ourselves to him in everything that we are? Again, alluding back to the catechism, knowing this truth, it should spur us to live uh, wholeheartedly ready from now on to serve him and to build his kingdom and to do all that we can to exalt his wonderful name. But in the end, a big part of the answer to the question of what do we do with this is the blessed promise that you don't have to do anything. God is a great and good God who is in control of all things. Therefore, it's not up to us to make sure that everything that gets done in a world where we tend to be constantly concerned and worried about so much, it is always good to remember that so many of the things we tend to, to burden ourselves with are stuff that we can't fix. We can't do anything about. But what is comforting and there's that important word again, is that we can trust in the God who is in control and look to him. Again, Israel was tired. They were weary. They had been beaten up by their enemies. They had watched their homes totally destroyed. Their lives were completely uprooted. But despite all of that, Isaiah reminds them that God had not forgotten them that God was still in control of all things and that their current situation hasn't changed that in the slightest. For us too, there are times in our lives where our burdens, our anxieties and worries just bear us down. They consume our attention and our thought. And what a glorious reminder that you are not outside of the vision or the control of God in heaven that he is continuing to work all things for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purposes. And so in those times of worry and concern, with Isaiah, I encourage you to look up, to lift up your eyes to the heavens, and to remind yourself that the very same God that put all of those lights in the sky and has made sure that none of them has ever been missing is aware. He knows. He loves you. He is ready to hear your pleas and your cry. And you are not forgotten. May we truly praise and appreciate that great God. Let's bow our heads. Lord God and Heavenly Father, we confess that like a snail before us, even in a worse way, we ought to be ignored and dismissed by you. For we have intentionally rebelled against your will and your way. We have been wicked. And we have destroyed so much of your good creation. What a humble joyful reminder it is what a comforting thought to think that you know us you call us by name and that you are so great a god that nothing is outside of your sight
In light of that thought, O Lord, may it truly cause us to be ready and willing from now on to live for you as we await that glorious day when you call us home. Lord, thank you for your grace, for your love. May we live in light of it every day. This we pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen.